Are you ready to make a real difference in the world and especially to the people around you? Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where we celebrate the road less traveled in business, leadership, and life. We welcome you to another conversation that we believe will provide you with the insight and inspiration you need on your journey. Here's your host, Kevin Monroe. Welcome to episode 133 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. If you caught last week's conversation, you may remember that for the whole month, we're talking about love, specifically love at work. Last week, we kicked the series off with Lori Corquera talking about bringing love to work. This week, we're joined by Dr. Bruno Signaco, who has, get this now, authored a book, a textbook on the topic of love. Now, hopefully that piqued your interest in what you're about to hear. Let me say that I love that you have joined us today. Whether you're a regular listener or you're checking us out for the very first time, I hope you hear something in today's conversation that sparks your mind, warms your heart, and draws you back for another conversation. Let's talk about love at work with a fellow who has written what might be currently the only textbook on the topic. Well, I want to welcome Dr. Bruno Signaco to the Higher Purpose Podcast and say thank you for joining me for what promises to be a stimulating conversation today. Thank you, Kevin, for this invite. I really appreciate your invite, and I know that your podcast is very popular, and I hope that I can add value and we can make a very good interaction, and also we can integrate the audience to this talk. Oh, Bruno, I have no doubt of that, because you and I connected in a conversation last week, and we spent an hour together just getting to know one another and, and having this conversation, and I know this is going to be a great one. So before we dive into our topic today, I always start by asking my guests this, what is something you are grateful for in this moment? This is a very interesting question. I don't have to think too much about this. I became recently first parent, first father. My first child was born. He's a boy. He's seven months. His name is Angelos. He's very happy, healthy. And also, I'm very grateful for having my fiancé that supports me all over this process of parenthood, new to me. And also, it cheered me up every time that I see Angelos, that is the, my son, cheer me up. And my fiancé says that my eyes are getting brighter and I'm getting much more sensitive because of fatherhood. It's very, very important. And it's an experience that I didn't have before. I'm really appreciative. And also, I'm appreciative because also I have a life that I can devote to some courses that are important for me, for example, the aspect of social entrepreneurship that is very important. And also that I can find some colleagues like you that are very keen on this topic. And I really appreciate that I have been accompanied by many people on this journey. Beautiful. And I love that your fiance says your eyes are brighter. Yes, this is very important because it's a work of art. For me, a child is like a work of art and it's a creation 
collective creation of the partners. And one thing is to talk about the child, and the other thing is to interact with the child. And you can learn a lot, much more in many cases than interacting with other people, because they are so pure, they are so bright. And his name is Angelos, and it's like a little angel, so sweet. And really, when I talk about him, made me feel very, very glad and give me a lot of willingness to continue and support him until the end of my days. Well, congratulations. I did not know that. So what a joy to celebrate that with you, Bruno. Thank you very much. Yeah. And children do have a way of just bringing joy. They're pure. All right. So you live in London. I live in London, in East London. I have been living in London for approximately 10 years. It's a very quiet area, and it's an area that is also residential area, and, but it's connected to the central part of London. But because it's a big city, any place that you want to go in London takes at least 40 <laughs> minutes, half an hour. It's a very, very, very big city, but I'm very pleased because it's a multicultural environment, very friendly, very inclusive, inclusive environment. And also, you find different thought leaders and also different train of thoughts that make the perspective on research much more holistic. You see different perspectives on research on different topics and also different well-known authors also live here. So I'm very pleased to live here. Also, you have very beautiful parks that what is make the city also so charming. Okay, so you are having a cup of tea right now. I know yes, that. Yes, I'm having a cup of coffee. If we happen to be sitting together and the listener were joining us, and okay. it's afternoon or evening, your time when we're doing this, where might we be seated for this conversation? Very good question. And I have no doubt that I will go with you and the listener to the High Park. High Park is one of the biggest parks in London. And now it's a bit cold. But if you take a good overcoat, you will have a lot of fun. And it's one of the biggest parks and also have a lot of nature. I really like to get in contact with nature because quiet your mind. Mm. Generally have a hectic day. And when you go to this park or any other natural place, not only you get quieter, but you see the interconnectedness of all the elements of nature. And this is very interesting. Why? Because then you can apply to other fields. The aspect of interconnecting, it can be applied to business, to life in general, and made me also feel much more at ease. Many of the most important creative insights came when I was in a natural place. Why? Because the mind tends to be quieter, and all these ideas that are being incubated on a subconscious level tend to pop up with no effort. So I love to go to natural places. If you come to London, a must, if you have two days, at least one afternoon, you should go to High Park. High Park is very interesting and also lots of people. Picnic, you can do picnic, you can do lots of fun. Lots of fun because also you see squirrels, squirrels a lot all over the park. So it's incredible. So a very nice, a lot of trees. Very nice. Hopefully you will have a sunny day that are <laughs> common here in London, but it's very, very nice. Okay, so we're clustered around in Hyde Park for this conversation. Okay. You and I just recently connected, and then you sent me a copy of your book. So maybe we even have the book laid out there with us on the bench. The Art of Compassionate Business, 
Main Principles for the Human-Oriented Enterprise. Now, Bruno, I have to tell you, I was a bit surprised when I opened the package and what I unwrapped, and there we are sitting on the bench and we're sitting down with a friend and I pull out this book and they go, what, it's a textbook? A textbook? And then when we talk about what is compassionate business, so what's this textbook really about, Bruno? Very interesting question. And I want to say that this, as you call textbook, is the result of three years research on this topic, very devoted time on this topic. And what I can say is that the main readership for this book will be entrepreneurs, CEOs, but also academic environment, for example, postgraduate programs or undergraduate programs. So it's both an entrepreneurial book and a textbook. You might call it textbook because there is a lot of research that back my statement. I don't want to speculate. I want to also relate any of the important topics to serious and solid research. This book is about how can companies be more humane in the business environment, but also how can companies be more humane, more specifically regarding their workplace? And this is very, very important because you see some cases of human-oriented enterprise, but most of the cases go far away from this concept. They're the opposite of being humane. So this was a very interesting challenge to me going through serious research and also analyzing cases so that I can gather some principles regarding human-oriented enterprise, principles that can be applied to any company regardless of their size, sector, or nationality. Okay. And I agree that it's broadly applicable, that it's not just a textbook, even though it kind of has the design and appearance of a textbook, but there's a four-letter word. You don't use it in the title, the art of compassionate business. I want to push you a little bit. What's at the heart of compassionate business? Very important question. And at the heart of compassionate business, there is a very simple but important concept that is how can we be more loving and business-oriented? So many people believe that it's incompatible. Many people believe that you have only to pursue profits and you cannot be loving, you cannot be caring with employees, considerate with customers, amicable or friendly with suppliers. So there are two concepts that are incompatible. One will be the profit orientation, and the other one will be the human orientation. In practice, I observe in this book in detail and with some examples in every chapter that you can make this a much richer business perspective when you incorporate the human mm. aspect. And I want you and everyone listening to this to think about this. What is business about? Mm. Business is based always on relationships. Yes. Say that again. Business is always based on? Relationships. Relationships. And what does this mean? That if you focus exclusively on what many scholars call key performance indicator, 
for example, productivity, profitability, efficiency, competitiveness. If you focus only on these indicators and dismiss the human aspect, you are dismissing a very important part of your business activity. Why? Because these indicators are the natural result of the interaction between the company and different stakeholders. Stakeholder to make this simple this term is individuals and organization with interest in our companies. This stakeholder can be internal, we call this employees management, and could be external, for example, supplier, customers, very important, community, mm -hmm. government. So if the company relate to each of these stakeholders in a loving way, these key performance indicators will improve naturally. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds counterintuitive. Do you agree with this? Oh, I absolutely do agree. So yeah. Oh, there's so much I want to talk about. So Bruno, I just have to ask a question. And you know, I mean, this is a rich book. There's no way we can adequately explore the whole book in the short time we have together here. But I just want to call out something. I was looking again this morning and it caught my eye that your previous books were The Fundamentals of International Marketing for SMEs and Techniques of International Negotiation. So what led you now? at this point in time and this point in your journey, your professional career, to draw a line in the sand and let's say it's time to talk about compassionate business. It's time to talk about putting humans, bringing humanity back to the workplace. And it's time to talk about love in business. Well, my motivation, my main motivation was that there are many business books that are very excellent in the market, but what I observe that they dismiss generally the human aspect. Mm. There are good books about strategy, good books about human resources, but in practice, these books have some principles that are based on that are not necessarily human-oriented mm. principles. An example is, for example, the concept of competition that you will find in any business book. Concept of competition, this means that the rival companies, implies a business context of scarcity, means that everyone has to fight for scarce resources. And this is also a principle of business economics. But in practice, we see companies that are continually generating new resources and generating new sources of energy. So in practice, this is, I consider that this might be considered as a fallacy. Many of the tenets that are supporting some of the business theories are not necessarily connected to humanness or humanity. Hmm. But also, if we analyze briefly, any business environment you see, companies try to poach talent from one another, or you see companies, for example, uh, developing price wars, hmm. or for example, in the business environment, you see the dark side of politics. You see backbiting, one-upmanship, you see people gossiping, slandering. So this is not loving. And we can say, this is the general rule. There are many companies that are acting this way, but also there is a new generation of companies that are acting in a much more humane way, <laughs> it's much more human-oriented. And this means that they are not treating, for example, employees as cogs in the organizational structure, but they're treating employees as legitimate human beings that should be respected, cared for, not making them overwork, and also caring not only for the work, aspect, but also personal family aspect. So it's a much more 
integrative view of business. And I found that there are good books in the market. I can mention one, for example, Conscious Capitalism, but I won't go further. I wanted to go further because I always look for interesting viewpoint from books, but also I want to give my own angle to the research process. And I find that this a book that is quite overarching, try to cover topics in, a de- in depth, but also in a very wide scope. Oh, and I think you did an excellent job with that. And you were just talking about this in those previous comments. And I have to admit, I was a bit surprised when I thumbed through the table of contents and then started reading and stumbled on this chapter about prosperity mindset or an abundant mindset, right? You were just talking about there's either scarcity or abundance. And so much of our thinking comes out of this scarcity. And so quite honestly, Bruno, this is why I start every conversation on the podcast in gratitude, because gratitude puts us into a loop of abundance rather than the loop of scarcity. I agree completely. And I will add to this important comment that gratitude, when people are grateful, they do not take things for granted. They appreciate means Gratitude can also be called appreciation. Mm -hmm. And appreciation has a very interesting meaning, if you look up in the dictionary, that is increasing the value. So when you are grateful, you are really increasing the value because you are focused on what is there, what you can be grateful for, and not focusing on the negative. Because psychologists said that people in general have what we call a bias toward the negative means. Mm -hmm. And this is an evolutionary process, meaning that we take uh, things in some cases for granted, but we have to focus on threats. Why? Because this was important, for example, in the cave ages for survival, to look, for example, predators or for look for any threat. So this is an evolutionary aspect that people have the tendency to focus on negative. However, appreciation counteracts. You focus mm-hmm. on the positive. And this can be applied to business because I see many companies that are ungrateful with employees. They get their best. They get some employees, they have been working for decades. They get the best of their life. And what they have, they are dumped. They are fired with no notice. And they are obviously, they are treated like discardable, disposable material. This is inhumane. When I see these cases, and there are cases, you see more often when there are economic crises. Companies are ruthless and relentless, and they don't treat these employees that give the best to pursue the company mission. They are left aside like a used packaging. Mm. Yeah, so that reminds me, and you and I had a conversation about Bob Chapman, his book, Everybody Matters, but there was a statement Bob made that really caught my eye, and he was a leader that led traditional kind of ways for years, bottom line, and then he started thinking about Everybody Matters, and he said, For years, for years, we've paid people for their hands, and they would have given us their head and their hearts if we'd only known how to ask, or if we'd created an environment that appreciated the whole person and respected the whole person and invited the whole person into the workplace every day rather than just that piece. So we hire you for your hands. Just do this. Don't think, just do this. 
very, very important comment. I like his comment, and obviously this is a very wise man. And I want to add to this that this is a fragmentary approach. Mm. When you talk about people only regarding their role at work, you're not considering a spiritual aspect that are very important, emotional aspect, physical aspect, social aspect, and you are doing what some philosopher advised not to do. And I cannot remember the name of the philosopher, but said, always, always use things and love people, not the other way around. Yeah. This is very important. It's a very simple principle. And what happened in many work environments, people feel used. Mm. And you have the concept of human resources, human resources. Resources are to be used. Are they really human resources? For the reason many companies are renaming this, rebranding, and they call people department because human resources are to be used and in some cases abused of. So the approach is we have a whole human being with different needs, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and also social, even environmental needs that many authors commented about, but we take only a little bit and we expect the employee to give their best. Now, there is a very interesting principle of social psychology that is called the principle of reciprocity. Mm -hmm. A great scholar like Cialdini mentioned, if you treat people in a certain way, people tend to reciprocate. What does this mean? That they tend to respond in similar ways. Now, how can companies expect employees to contribute in a hearty way, in a willing way, if they're treating them in a negative way, in an unloving way? Employees, when they're treated in an unloving way, they tend to adopt in a, a fight, freeze, flight mode, that means a defensive mode. They mm. tend not to cooperate, to do the minimum, mm. to get the minimum time at work because they're not feeling value recognized. So very, very important. I agree with mm. this third leader that you mentioned. And I want to add that the employees should always be considered as a whole but as a legitimate human being that should be treated with respect and dignity yeah, because dignity. they are contributing to our company in the best way possible. Hmm. Okay, Bruno, I want to ask you something, and I want to come back to this conversation about language in a few moments. But before we do that, I want to ask you, is it accurate to say, I believe this is how I understood your book, that love is either present or absent in all businesses and all business activities? Yes, we can say that there are two polarities. Two polarities, one is love, is the positive polarity, and the other polarity, many people will believe, believe that is hate or hatred. But I will say that according to some spiritual school of thought is fear. So you have some workplaces that are full of fear and some workplaces that are full of love. In practice, companies in some cases could be more loving regarding certain activities and much more focused on fear on other activities. But we see a very important generation of new companies that try to adopt a loving attitude in most or all of their activities. So obviously it's true. When you can be loving, you are unlikely to be hateful. Why? Because they are incompatible. So Let's talk about appreciation or thankfulness. When you're thankful, you are unlikely to think about negative things. Why? Because you are focusing on the positive. 
you're not taking things for granted. So you're less likely to moan or complain. The same happened with the loving attitude. Gratefulness is a byproduct of love. So when you're focused on love, you tend to connect. You reinforce the need to belong of people. And also you're trying to be much warmer, kind and supportive. Love is not, as many people believe, romantic love that can be applied only to friends or can be applied, for example, to relatives or even acquaintances or colleagues. Love is much wider. I'm talking about the humanistic aspect of love. And this implies care, compassion, empathy, support. Mm -hmm. And also we are talking about willingness to help people and also respectfulness. So all these are byproducts of love. And love, I call this, that is volitional. Volitional means come from your will. This means that you are loving people because they are human beings, mm -hmm. not because of any reason. Because we all share a common trait that is our shared humanity. And yeah. we don't respect one another. Because we are interconnected to one another, it will be difficult for us to progress in any endeavor, including business endeavors. So, yeah. And you mentioned that a lot of the source of this is spiritual, but I also point out that the Swiss American psychiatrist, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, wrote there are only two primary emotions, fear or love. So a couple of things on this. One, love is difficult to define. You were just talking about that. And I love that. There I go. I love. In your book, you have over 30 descriptions of love. I think it's about 35 descriptions, pages 62 and 63, just this list of bullets. I'm wondering, do you have any personal favorites? When you're asked to describe love, what do you go to, Bruno? I like some of the definitions that are very, very insightful. For example, love is service to other, mm. not a servitude nor slavery. So mm -hmm. let's analyze this definition with some examples. Some let's talk about a specific company because I know that uh, people want to know about the, the, the specific example. Let's talk about companies like Amazon. Amazon, the great giant online, they're using a loving approach to customer. When you buy something on Amazon, and supposing that you bought a book, you will find, for example, when you open your Amazon and log in, there are some recommendations that are tailor-made, that are specially designed for you. Why? Because they take into account the history of books that you bought before, so they look for similar themes, similar topics, and these recommendations are personalized and will be different from recommendations that a company will give to a specific other customer. So every customer will have tailor-made or personalized, we call customized recommendations. This is very interesting. Why? Because, and this company is growing a lot. Why? Because they take the time to design the system so that make this individual feel unique. Mm. And this applied from the viewpoint of the customer, applied very well because customers tend to be very loyal. They tend to love mm. buying from Amazon. And so, very important. So, mm. what I was saying, this is an attitude of serving, mm. serving. not selling. Most companies are in the selling mode. They ask themselves, what is seeing for me? Yeah. And why don't we change this mode, switch from selling mode to serving mode? How can we help this customer? How we can consider this customer not as a faceless figure, 
but as an individual with unique needs. Mm. Customer is very vague. Some cases, words disguise the real importance of individuals. Not all customers are the same. In marketing, we use a lot segmentation, I mean, group of customers. Teenagers behave this way. Other people, it's not true. You have differences, nuances, and difference between one teenager and another, and other people. So right. we cannot <laughs> stereotype mm. and use general categories, forgetting about the individual. So very, very important, serving customer. What is better for this customer, even when the customer won't buy from our company and have to switch from our company to competitor? We have to help them. And also we have to be thankful. We were talking about gratitude. Thankful with this customer in price. Thank you for giving your time to us. And even when you didn't buy from us, we hope that you get the product, the best product, and we wish you the best. So this is an example. Okay. Bruno, I want to read something from your book and get a response from you. Actually two, but one, page 63. On one side, love is the natural heightener of people's human qualities. In other words, when people adopt a loving attitude, their positive human side is gracefully enhanced. On the other side, when people adopt an unloving attitude, even their greatest human qualities are degraded. Okay, very important. I took some ideas from Jeffers that state, for example, that when people are faithful but are unloving, they tend to get fanatical. Or, for example, when people are powerful, they are not loving. For example, CEOs, most of the CEOs share a lot of power. Mm -hmm. But when they're unloving, they tend to be brutal, means they, they're careless, they're dismissive. So very important to spice up with love. Any attitude should have in its main essence love, because love is always expansive, means connect to people, and also produce on a biological level, physiological level, on the level of your body, produce a hormone called oxytocin that connects to people mm -hmm. and help people trust one another. There are many studies on this, but also, when people are in a loving attitude, they tend to cooperate yeah. more together and think more creatively. So there is a study of creativity and love. There are some scientists that say, love enhance your intelligent skills, make you more intelligent and creative. And let's talk about fear. Fear make you focus only on a narrow set of factors, the one that you perceive as threatening. When companies are threatened by competitors, other companies that are selling similar products, they are narrowing down their attention and they cannot get so creative. They cannot get so innovative. So very important to understand that these two polarities are always in play in the business environment. Yeah. It's up to the company and the leaders working for this company to choose the right attitude. Remember that this is all about relationship. No business is an island. This means that no business can survive without customer, without other companies, supplier, business partner, without the community. How many companies we see that are polluted environment? I don't want to give any names, but we see other companies, for example, like Whole Foods, that are caring not only for the profit, they have what we call the triple bottom line, caring for profit, but also selling products that are healthy for people, organic products, and also caring for the planet. Right. I read that they have some micro loans that 
obviously they're trying to help community to develop. So this is an example of a loving attitude and obviously an example to emulate. Okay, and in that comment, you talked a little bit about the other sentence I wanted to read. You touched on it, but I just love this contrast that we were just talking about how love gracefully enhances the humanity of our employees. They're more creative, they're smarter, more intelligent. You also wrote that fear is utterly intimidating and immobilizing for most people. It does not bring about any positive change within a company. I agree completely. Well, you wrote it. You should agree. No, <laughs> I completely agree. And I can agree on this statement 20 years later. This is a statement that will always apply. It's a timeless statement. And I want to mention this because there is a concept that we call psychological safety, mm-hmm. or to put this more simple terms, people want to feel at ease. Yeah. People don't want to feel threatened. They don't want to adopt a freeze fight fly mode, means a defensive mode. Because when they adopt this mode for a long time, they tend to get the stress. They tend to get burnout. So well, and always have their guard up, right? They have their guard up, exactly. And they get defensive and they cannot get creative because this defensive mode impairs temporarily the highest thinking skill, the discerning skill, like creativity or synthesis. So these skills are temporarily impaired. Why? Because we call this the survival mode. So let's give an example in the work environment. When employees are made redundant with no notice, this is threatening from the viewpoint of employee. If employee knows this because of rumors, the employee will tend to cooperate less because they will be worried. But also when employees see that the company is downsizing and they were not informed thoroughly about this, they were not even incorporating in the discussion, also employees will tend to be defensive, not cooperating, not uh, giving their best, not contributing to their mission. But in some work environment, you see a lot of negative politics, means slandering people, criticizing one another, harsh ways of assessing employees. For example, if the employee didn't achieve the objective, would be punished harshly, and in some cases, demoted or dis-killed. This is based on fear. Bruno, I want to ask you something. Make sure I'm understanding you. I think I am. This is how I see it, at least, that all employees, not just those that are made redundant, but when employees are made redundant and there's no advance notice, there's no communication, all employees in the company feel fear. All are exposed to fear. I don't want to say they all fear it, but they're all exposed to it, and that potential is there because they're like, oh, am I next? Are you next? Is that what you're saying? I am saying this, but also you don't have to get to this extreme situation. Even in a day-in, day-out activities, employees feel utterly judged. In many cases, why? Because there is a harsh way of assessing the employees. And in some cases, employees are not trusted. Mm-hmm. The CEO do not delegate. The manager do not delegate because they treat employees like children that are incapable of doing things correctly. They don't trust in employees' discernment. And this is wrong. Why? Because the employee is in contact with the area that obviously will know more than probably the one on the top. Moreover, employees feel fearful when some decisions are affecting them, for it's a business decision, for example, downsizing, and they didn't even participate in the discussion of this. 
But also other ways that the employee can feel uncomfortable is when they're not provided with minimum resources. I see some companies that they lack the minimum resources, for example, stationary items, or for example, a good table or a hygienic place to work, safety, secure. So I knew some cases in the, in the supermarket sector that this is very shameful to comment about this. Obviously, I won't give the name of the company. Employees were not allowed to go to the toilet mm. because they had to be on duty all the time at work. So the minimal physical needs were not obviously taken into account. This is not only something that is very arguable, but also the company's image when this is well known is affected very negatively. And all these business indicators that are being taken care of are obviously they doing the natural. Okay. I heard you say something earlier and I said I was going to ask this. I want to ask the language of love or the language of fear or violence or where do you see this playing out and what companies are being mindful of the imagery they're using in their communication? Yes, the language is very important because when we think we use words and also we use images, the language, I will give an example of language related to fear. Competition. This is related to fear. Why? Because it implies scarcity environment. Instead, cooperation will be more related to love. But also, many words that you use in the business environment are related to military terms. For example, strategy, tactics, position, flanks. All this is related and implies that you have to fight for. And when you have to fight for, you cannot connect. Or you're fighting for or you connect. One is constructive, contractive means fighting for, looking for a scarce resources. The other one is connecting, creating together, discussing, cooperating. So most of the business vocabulary has a tinge of negativity in the way that is also focused on quantitative. I want to discuss this with you, quantitative. How many companies set objectives that are only measurable? For example, profit, for example, sales. However, can you measure camaraderie? Can you measure, for example, cooperation between the company and customer? Can you measure really loyalty? Can you measure the love in the business environment? Difficult to measure. And there are some thought leaders that said, not everything that count can be counted and not everything that can be counted counts. So very, very important to look for qualitative aspects because most of the business is quantitative. And love is qualitative by nature. Okay, so for people listening, maybe they have a leader or maybe they are a leader. What are some practical things that you recommend leaders do that demonstrate love or create environments where love flourishes? Very important. Thankfulness is the first tip that I want always to provide people with and implies appreciating the interaction with different stakeholders, with customers, with employees. A company, for example, HEX, that is a fashion company, send thank you notes to customers, handwritten, thousands of thank you notes, handwritten. This means that they are taking the time to be grateful with each of the customers. This is very important because customers appreciate the personalized touch, the human touch, but also, so thankfulness will be a very important aspect to take into account, but also inclusiveness 
or inclusion and also diversity. Leaders have to be open to an environment that have different perspectives that could be enriching the environment and also should be getting themselves off the pedestal, means the know-it-all mode, and instead being more open to learn. They can learn from anyone. They can learn from the janitor working for this company. They can learn from the customer that complain and give a specific feedback for them to improve the product to sell in the future. So leaders should be very open to insights and not believing that because they have a position of power, they know everything. Because in some cases, they have a micro environment that have some blind spots. They don't allow them to see things that are important. For example, how to serve customers better or how to relate to employees. So another important aspect of leaders is generosity. Mm. Generosity implies focus on giving instead of receiving. And some entrepreneurs ask me, how can we know if we are generous? Very simple to verify. When you're focusing on others, you are being generous because you don't have to give necessarily material things. For example, a better compensation for this employee. You can give immaterial things. For example, appreciation, a note of appreciation to this employee for having contributed to this event. Or for example, organizing a social event where employees are recognized publicly for their contribution to the company. So very, very important to be generous, to be grateful, and obviously to take into account that all human beings trying to do their best, but also they have some needs to be recognized, respected, and also not to feel utilized, not to feel manipulated. Leaders, by all means, should avoid any type of manipulation. Manipulation implies when you are using others as a means to your objective. So you are using people. No, on the contrary, you should appreciate their contribution and all together can pursue a meaningful mission, a meaningful purpose. So these are probably in a brief way, my important tip for CEOs. Okay. So Bruno, you just mentioned contribution that stirs this question for me. This book is a contribution to the understanding of business, the practice of business. What do you hope your contribution of this book, The Art of Compassionate Business, makes possible in the world of business? Very, very beautiful question. I really appreciate this question. I'm very insightful. What I would like to achieve with this book is that these ideas become common sense, become obvious, so obvious that we don't have to put them in a book, mm. that become the general rule of all business activity. Might be talking about this probably 10 years later, 20 years later, and this might become common. Why? Because we need a human approach. Because if we go the opposite way, being inhumane or being dehumanizing, so this won't bring about any results. And also, my idea that these ideas get spread so that create some ripple effects imply that not only CEOs pay attention to this idea, but also employees, colleagues, they help one another. And also customers also cooperate with companies and vice versa. And suppliers get with companies win-win agreements where everyone wins not one winner at the expense of others. I also want this idea to become much more popular so that we avoid any adversarial tools like lawsuits or, for example, negative comments, slandering, and try to cooperate and look for better understanding, looking for common ground, respecting our differences. 
Well, Bruno, I can tell you, I agree with you, and that's a vision I share for the future. Is there something else you want to say before we conclude this conversation about this that allows you just to be at a place of completion with this conversation? Yes, yes. Thank you. I have one idea that I want to mention briefly, that is the idea of natural conversations. Natural conversation in most business environments, most of the conversations are focused on business goals. Mm. And this makes the whole conversation a bit dehumanizing. Means you don't consider that this conversation could be enriching and learning from one another, learning from their views, but also learning from their vulnerability, their setbacks, their hopes. So I want also to spread the word that the conversation should become much more humane and much mm. more natural. This means including the person, not only taking into account the business or world role, but taking into account the whole being, the spiritual aspect, physical aspect, and also mental aspect, and even social aspect. So we have to take the conversation as a way to connect, not only, as is done in most companies, as a way to achieve objectives or meet deadlines or like uh, comply with budgets. What I think I heard you say right then, and I want to take a moment to unpack it. Okay, I think of so many business conversations or conversations I've been in in part of the business environment. We had this small talk up front for 30 seconds, 60 seconds, two minutes, and then we feel like we've got to get that out of the way so we can get down to business. What I think I just heard you say is what if we brought that human element to the whole conversation, that we made the whole conversation human, that there's not this small talk part, but the whole thing is human. Completely agree, because this is the only way, because you're treated with human, you're not treating with role, you're treating with people that are complex and also you can take them from the holistic perspective, it means that they're not only specific function, job function or business role. And I agree that most of the conversation in the business environment tend to be like a means to obtain a goal. The person in the conversation will be the goal, not the means to a goal. So it should be the main goal. You have to meet the person, know them better, and naturally the business relationship will flourish. You don't have to focus so much on the goal themselves, but on the relationship, because who are the one at the end achieving this objective? They go back to the, the first topic. The objectives are achieved by people. So focus on the people and not so much on the objective. And when you focus on the people, they will help you achieve your objective. There are many cases, obviously we have a matter of time, but many cases where companies were helped by other people and individual and companies. The case of Whole Food is also another example that it has some problem with floods. And because they were so supportive with people around, when they have this problem with the flood that all the business was destroyed, they have some help from, for example, customers, supplier, the community. Why? Because the company was previously very connected to mm. people. Mm. So, so Bruno, for people that want to get in touch with you, how do we suggest they do that? Thank you very much for the question. I have a website that is www.humanorientedenterprise.com. www.humanorientedenterprise.com. 
humanorientedenterprise.com. And also, if they want to know more about these ideas, they can find the book, The Art of Compassionate Business, offline or online, it's all worldwide, and obviously they can get more details about this. Well, thank you for joining us, Bruno. This has been a delightful conversation. Thank you. I have the same impression and I have the same feeling. Thank you very much. I'm wondering what thoughts are lingering or what ideas are sprouting in your mind after listening to this conversation. After we stopped recording, Bruno reflected a little bit more on the question I ask of what he hopes happens as a result of this book. It's worth repeating or expanding a little bit that love and the ideas of making room for mine and your humanity in the world of work become commonplace and common practice. Because after all, it really is common sense to love and value people. Which gets me wondering, what's your favorite way to define love? Bruno referenced love as serving others. Now, not being subservient, but taking action to show you care. So when you're asked to describe love, love in action at work, how do you define it? And that gets me thinking and wanting to invite you to consider this question. What will you do to put love to practice or love into action today, this week? Hey, in our next conversation, we're going to continue this topic of love and we're going to turn the topic inwards by talking about self-compassion with Laurie Cameron. You don't want to miss that. So if you heard something in this or any episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast and you want to explore it with me deeper in conversation, I hope by now you know that you are welcome to do that. You can email me, kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com or you can call or text me at 678-744-5111. Until we connect again, and you know I hope it's sooner rather than later, I want to encourage you to keep loving people because for now that's still a road less traveled in business leadership and life, and it does make a difference. And I believe you are a difference maker. What could 10 days of gratitude do for you? Find out what hundreds of people have experienced and make a change that can last a lifetime at thegratitudechallenge.community because it's better when we do things together.